When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Mama didn't lie. She didn't lie. Mama didn't lie. She didn't lie. Here comes that boy at the screens, making eyes at me again. Do they all think that I'm a toy? Singing about lying there. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just uh, join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. I'll tell you, I have always been fascinated by the world of lie detection. You know, you see, uh, you hear all these stories about uh, people being dishonest, and so often people say, well, they should hook them up to a polygraph test or something along along those lines. And uh, you hear the, the polygraphs that are depicted in the world of popular culture. You see them depicted on TV shows. Who can forget the famous polygraph scene on Seinfeld? Do you remember? You remember what happens? Jerry is dating, if I remember the episode correctly, he's dating a police officer. And he claims in the course of conversation that he's never seen the television show Melrose Place. So the police officer says, well, why don't we hook you up into the polygraph uh, machine and see if that's true. Now, Jerry's panicked. Jerry's panicked. He tries to get the best liar he knows, his friend George, to coach him on how to beat the polygraph test. And George gives him a very powerful piece of advice. He says, remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Well, Jerry takes the polygraph test, and his girlfriend is trying to find out if he's telling the truth about Melrose Place. What's your name? Jerry Seinfeld. What is your address? 129 West 81st Street. Did Kimberly steal Joe's baby? I don't know. Did Billy sleep with Alice's best friend? I don't know. Did Jane's fiance kidnap Sydney and take her to Las Vegas? And if so, did she enjoy it? I don't know. Did Jane sleep with Michael again? Yes! Jane, I was just me so mad. 
Needless to say, they found that uh, Jerry was not being truthful when he claimed he never saw Melrose Place. But could that actually happen? Uh, could you use a polygraph test to tell if someone's telling the truth about never having been to Taco Bell or something like that? Here to tell us about the world of lie detection is Louis Conti, refi- retired law enforcement officer, a polygraph examiner, also a novelist that we've talked to before. Louis, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Same here. Good morning to you. So your company is uh, Premier Metropolitan Polygraph, right? And uh, tell folks the the bulk of the work that you do with respect to polygraph exams these days. Well, most of the polygraphs that uh, I do are on sex offenders who are under supervision uh, in the community, either on probation or parole. Uh, and um, so they're really the target and focus of you know the vast majority of my work. Okay, so uh, one of the ideas when we were we were talking about maybe doing this uh, sort of a segment is obviously the person that's in the news most these days for lying is Congressman George Santos, who has been exposed as a total fraud for making up whole cloth sections of his not only his resume but his whole biography. So I thought, and I don't George Santos a little bit, I thought it might be fun to get him in studio and at least make the offer to do a policy. Polygraph test. Now, you said it's not as simple as that. It's not like we could just strap him up to a, uh, a polygraph uh, examination machine and tell right away if he's lying or not. It would be a little bit more complicated than that. Explain to folks why that's the case. Why would an interview with George Santos hooked up to a polygraph machine not exactly work as I envisioned it working? Well, the first thing is that uh, unlike what you saw in, in that very humorous uh, episode of Seinfeld, I love that episode. Um, uh, the polygraph uh, is done at the end of an extensive interview, right? And uh, first of all, I, I don't think there's any uh, way that uh, Santos's attorney would allow him to sit for a polygraph. Uh, all polygraphs, by the very nature of what goes on, are voluntary. The person has to agree to be there, right? Now, sometimes there is some you know, amount of influence to compel a person to be there, right? As in the sex offenders who have to come in and take a polygraph because they have a condition of supervision to be there. But even then, the person has to want to be there. And the questions by time you get to the actual test, right, where the person is attached to the equipment and physiological measurements are taken, by time that happens, right, there's an extensive interview leading up to that point. So um, the questions then become yes or no. And if I had Santos in front of me, what I would do is probably a two-and-a-half, three-hour interview, distill everything down to a few issues, because in a real polygraph, you really can ask no more than four relevant questions. So it would be a very extensive process, um, and I doubt that you know his his attorney would agree to well, let him. Well, first of all, I mean clearly he doesn't have that good of an attorney. So, but put aside what a, whatever advice his lawyer would give them. So, when you say you'd have a two and a half hour interview before getting to those four relevant questions. Would that two-and-a-half-hour interview, would that be while he's hooked up to a machine, or would that be prior to him prior. being hooked up to the machine? Yeah, it would be prior. So you have a whole lengthy discussion with someone while they're not hooked up to a machine before you ever uh, hook them up to the machine. 
that's right. And in that time, you know, what we're doing is asking meaningful questions. Uh, we're reading the person's nonverbals, right? We want to look at, you know, what their body, their face, you know, what their words are telling us and what they're not telling us, right? So, you know, the, the interview process is really very extensive. Um, and it, and that's why, you know, I think in the lead in U.S. is polygraph science, is it art? My answer is always that it's both. Interesting. So I, I guess the layman's understanding of how a polygraph machine works is that it measures all sorts of uh, physical factors, um, blood pressure, respiration, and things that, that that may change when someone is under stress by lying. Is is that how a polygraph uh, machine works? Is there more to it? Is there less to it? How do how do they work? Well, what we're measuring uh, is movement, breathing, sweating, heart rate, and blood pressure. And the reason that we measure those things has to do with what we refer to as the freeze, fight, or flight response, right? And I'm sure, you know, the listeners can recall times in their life when they are presented with a situation, you know, that's threatening to them, whether it's, you know, uh, you know almost being mugged, um, you know, being in a car accident. I think everyone can remember what happens inside of your body, right? There's a surge of adrenaline, right? And you become agitated and start moving. Um, your breathing becomes ragged. Uh, you begin to sweat and your heart rate and blood pressure spike because you're facing, you know, a threat. And a question in a polygraph test, if you're not being honest about it, represents a threat. And so the same physiology can become measurable. Right? And so... What people don't realize is that in a real polygraph test, you're sitting down with someone and you're developing the questions with them, right? Uh, and by the time you get to the actual polygraph test where they're attached to the equipment, uh, by that time they know what the questions are, right? And so when I sit down with a sex offender, what's really going on is I'm trying to get them to disclose information so that we know and again, I emphasize these are people who are under supervision. We know that they're doing things like avoiding being alone with children, right? That they're not viewing pornography, right? Uh, and all sorts of other issues that we make sure uh, that, you know, we're trying to keep them contained. And so, you know, the questions are known by the person. And I tell them, always remember two things. If you didn't do it, you didn't do it. But I need you to be so honest with me that there's no way that this question bears a threat to you anymore. And that's how we do a polygraph. Uh, talking with Louis Conti, he's uh, with Premier Metropolitan Polygraph, a uh, retired law enforcement officer. There are um, a whole bunch of folks. That, well, so let's say let's say uh, I'm in the midst of a polygraph examination, right? And now chances are, why wh wh whatever the reason that I'm taking that polygraph examination, chances are it's dealing with something pretty stressful. Now, I um, it, l let's say for instance you're questioning someone about whether they've committed infidelity, right? Even if you go over the questions, I could see a scenario in which you're asking someone about whether 
whether they've cheated on their husband or their wife. And just by nature of being asked that question, they get a little bit nervous, and that may show a little bit of a change in uh, their heart rate and everything else. Is it possible that someone could be being truthful, but because of the nature of the questions, even though you've gone over the questions with them, that it could come across as if they're being dishonest? Well, here's why you have to balance the test out. You know, when you're, you're, there are different kinds of test questions within the polygraph itself, right? And if you're asking a question like, have you been, you know, in essence, uh, have you cheated on your husband? Yes, that's going to be a question that elicits an emotional response. But, you know, I tell the person, keep in mind that we're only interested in significant responses. And so what one has to do is balance out the test. Right now, that how you get to that point is you've got to get to know the person. I've got to get into their head a little bit and understand what their values are, what the things are that they worry about. Right, and we see the way that they answer questions that we know the answer to. Right, and so we use comparison questions that frame the relevant questions. Right. Um, another example of this is imagine you work in a bank and all of a sudden a $10,000 deposit goes missing. And, you, you know, the, the administration knows that there are four people in the chain of custody of that missing money. Well, everyone who's going to come in now and take a polygraph knows that there's missing money and knows that they're under a lot of pressure, right? And so, yes, you've got to make sure that you know, knowing that people are going to be under pressure, that the test is balanced out with other questions that also challenge the person, right? And so that's why you got to get to know them. You got to get to know what they value. Um, you got to get to know their history a bit so that those comparison questions, which are often questions that sort of go something like this. Um, and it's one thing to ask a person, of course, you know, is your car red? Is your house blue? Is today Tuesday? But then ask a question in your entire life, did you ever betray the trust of someone who loved you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see the, um, you know, uh, the the work that would go into something like that. What are the current rules regarding admissibility of polygraph tests in state courts and federal courts? Uh, my understanding is largely that they can't be used as evidence. Is that accurate? Well, actually, in 25 uh, of the 50 states, polygraph uh, results are admissible in court. And there are various rules about that, you know. Um, and in New York, there have been occasions where it has been allowed in. And it's certainly understood within New York uh, that people under supervision, again, for specified kinds of, you know, uh, kinds of offenses, um, that polygraph, uh, polygraph results are admissible. What I always tell people, though, is, you know, it's important to keep in mind that no machine in and of itself is typically allowed in a, in a court because you can't cross-examine it, right? So, but the expert opinion of the examiner uh, has ended up in different courts uh, around the country. It depends on the rules within given states. Uh, what I'll tell everyone is, you know, uh, people under federal supervision, um, uh, the, the courts order uh, the polygraph. Same thing with with the state court. So there's an understanding of, of how it should be used within a certain context. I, I, one of the things that people always wonder about, at least I've always wondered about it, and clearly Jerry Seinfeld did in that episode, is 
is can you be trained to beat a polygraph test? Can Is there a way, are there strategies that you can utilize to still be dishonest while you're hooked up to the polygraph test and not have that dishonesty detected? Well, um, there are some people who try to employ uh, what we call, you know, countermeasures. Uh, we are trained to identify those things, right? Um, you know, so, you know, there, there's some, uh, you'll see different uh, versions of how people attempt to be polygraphs. There was a, a film out uh, several years ago where a guy tried to put a, you know, a tack in his sneaker uh, and, you know, he's going to press down on the tack within his sneaker whenever he's asked a question. And the thinking is, you know, I'll disguise my physiology this way. And sure enough, if you are in pain, if you put yourself in pain, that will change what things look like on a polygraph chart. The thing is that we know what that looks like. Well, right. What about uh, medication, for instance? It, can I take something like a, a tranquilizer or something along those lines that will uh, calm me down so that I don't exhibit a lot of the signs that uh, might be trademark telltale signs of lying? Well, one of the things we do is we ask someone, you know, what medications are you on? Um, what are the medications you typically take? And, you know, recently, have you taken anything else? Uh, you know, in, in the lead up up to the test, and they're instructed not to do that, right? Um, but if someone you know takes a you know a tranquilizer of some sort, first of all, I'm going to notice that, uh, you know, because uh, again, I know what you know typical human physiology on a polygraph chart looks like, right? So I'm going to see that response across all of the questions. Right. And keep in mind, they're trying to not look deceptive on the relevant questions. You know, getting back to that bank scenario, did you take the ten thousand dollars? Right. Again, all the physiology would be depressed. So it's not as easy as doing that. Um, You know, I, I think that there are some people. Right. Who could over time learn how to how to. Um, control their physiology enough, but um, these are people. That's a theory I have that you know people who train as Buddhist monks, um, you know, and they sit there and practice meditation, and over twenty, thirty years, learn how to be still, control their breathing and heart rate, even their body temperature. Because don't forget, we're measuring sweating, right? So it's very hard to deceive that, right? Um, so. Uh, to get around to a long answer there, I think it's possible that some people with enough training could, in theory, beat a polygraph, but it's a huge time commitment, right? Because it takes those Buddhist monks 20, 30 years to get that good. There there was The Guardian, uh, in an article about using uh, polygraph exams for testing sex offenders, very similar to the kind of work that you do, they described the case of someone named Floyd Buzz Fay, who was wrongfully convicted of murder on the basis of polygraph testing. And during his time in prison, they say that Buzz found out as much as he could about the polygraph and used his knowledge 
to train other prisoners to beat the test. And according to The Guardian, after just 15 minutes of instruction, 23 out of 27 inmates were able to beat the test. And they say, as a reason to not use this sort of methodology on sex offenders, that it's highly likely that a sex offender who was motivated to beat the test and give the impression of being low risk would be able to do so. Are, are you familiar with the case of Floyd Buzz Fay? And what about what the Guardian says there, that this is not an effective means of, t- of uh, monitoring sex offenders? Well, you know, I think a couple of things. I, I, don't, I don't know about the specifics of what ex- how they determined that uh, there was 20-something percent of the people who, who could then uh, beat the polygraph. What I, what I will say is, that the use of polygraph with sex offenders has been going on for, you know, half a century. Um, And that there are thousands and thousands of these tests done by different examiners really all across the country. Uh, And it's used as a monitoring uh, tool, right? Uh, And we know from, you know, different statistics kept by different departments around the country that the, you know, the probation departments that use polygraph testing, um, that they have better case outcomes. And, you know, one of the things I want to sort of emphasize here is we're giving polygraphs to these people to create what I call a disclosure, you know, a culture of disclosure. What we want to do is get people into the habit of, you know, and into the understanding, the mindset that they need to be honest, right? Um, so, you know, I know that it is controversial. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, but we need to ask, what are the alternatives, right? And polygraph uh, has been looked at uh, and found to be upwards of, you know, 85 percent um, valid, you know, uh, when when used in the right way. Again, I emphasize that this is not just using a machine, right? This is the skill of the examiner. This is, you know, extensive training, all the rest of that leading up to, you know, a focused point of, you know, uh, you know, with, with an offender. And the idea is to, first of all, get disclosures uh, and get people focused on what they need to do in different treatment programs. So it's really not that simple as just, you know, go in and, and try to beat the test. Um, I'd have to look at how they ran that study mm-hmm. um, and, and really kind of understand how they did it. Uh, and I always tell people, no instrument, no test of a person is ever 100 uh, percent, you know, effective. And I acknowledge that, you know, so uh, but polygraph is the best tool we have uh, when used in the right way on, you know, with certain people. It's uh, if people just tuning in, we're talking with Louis Conti. He is a polygraph examiner. He's about to launch a newsletter called The Truth Be Told. We'll tell you how you could subscribe to that and get a hold of that. Uh, very quickly, Lewis, before we run out of time, one of the it's no secret that you could have different forensic pathologists look at the same autopsy and come to a different conclusion. I'm curious if that's the case with polygraph examiners. Can you and someone that's similarly trained look at the same polygraph machine, having asked the same questions to the same person and come to a different result? Can can you and a colleague come up with differing results as to whether someone's being honest or not about the questions that they're being asked? Well, there are different scoring schemes that polygraph examiners use, right? 
there's three-point scoring, six-point scoring, uh, horizontal scoring, things like that. So if everyone is, is using the same scoring and looking at the charts, don't forget in, in the end you can print out the charts and look at them uh, and see what you have there. Um, you know, I, I would say that you know, having been in uh, different settings with other examiners, uh, that we're seeing the same thing. You know, um, and some some folks may score things a little differently, uh, but for the most part, um, when you have a good a good clean chart, you can see you know what's going on. Lou, you got to come back because there's a whole bunch of people that have questions for you that I'm not going to be able to answer. So maybe next week or the following week we can do a another part to this. But I know you're launching this uh, Substack newsletter, The Truth Be Told. How can people subscribe to that? How can they uh, read that? Well, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that I'm also going to be teaching a course in Truth and Deception for the Institute of Pure and Applied Knowledge, uh, and it's an online course. Um, that really, you know, anyone who's interested in this can take. Uh, and that course is going to be starting in February. Uh, and again, the, the place where I'm teaching it is the Institute of Pure and Applied Knowledge, ipac.edu.com. Uh, and um, so, you know, people can, can look up the course there. Um, ipac.edu.com. And then very correct. quickly, because we're, we're, we're really got to run, uh, Lou, if people want to subscribe to that newsletter, how can they do that? Well, um, Go into Substack uh, and, um, you know, look up my name, uh, look up The Truth Be Told, uh, and I'm going to start, you know, writing uh, some articles in the hopper there. I'm going to weigh in on different aspects. Uh, thank uh, you, Lou. I, I got to run. I appreciate that. We'll, we'll continue the conversation in the future, all right? Thank you very, very much. If people want to comment on uh, any portion of our conversation, they can do so, 800-848-9222. The newsletter, if you go into Substack, The Truth Be Told, uh, Louis Conti, C-O-N-T-E. And uh, that certainly sounds like an interesting course. We'll have Lou back in a week or two to talk more about it. This is The Other Side of Midnight straight ahead the other side of midnight, midnight.